take your Bibles back to 1 John with me, and let's dive right in. Different type of a message this morning. Most of it is introduction, and the, the just the tail end of it is the actual message, but you got to sit through the introduction to get through the message. And uh, as I usually try to do as we begin a new book, I like to give you a little bit of a background, and so we'll take a little bit of time this morning and just look at the background of the of First John, and and then uh, really dive into this first little chunk, if you will. If you have a a Bible that likes to kind of delineate in in between chapters, you might have a, a section break there in between cha- uh, verse four and verse five. Mine does not, but I drew a line there anyway. And uh, we will just go that far this morning. The the title of the message this morning is experiencing Jesus, experiencing God. And as we as we get through this first part of the chapter, I, I think you'll, it'll become very apparent. But as we go through each section of the book, I want that that kind of to be the theme overall. The book of First John, or the the epistle of First John, was obviously written by John, and uh, it was. And he has some very important things to say. He was a, he was a, a, an older man towards the end of his life and writing some last few instructions to probably the churches in Ephesus. We, we know from history that John was a pastor and we don't know exactly how, uh, how many people this letter was written to, but we, we generally believe that it was, it was written to, uh, the churches that were in this, uh, this, this place called Ephesus. Around AD 90, somewhere right there, it really doesn't, that doesn't make too much of a difference. Have you ever gotten to know somebody before? And at the surface level, things look good. But then as you begin to dig a little deeper, they don't be, they don't continue to look as good. In fact, they kind of start to look negative. You know what I'm talking about? Remember dating? That was the process, right? The selection process. You find this this uh, guy, and uh, just about I think every guy on the planet has a list of uh, of his uh, qualifications in a wife. And if there's a hundred things on there, about 99 of them have to do with her physical appearance. She has to look good and be beautiful and uh, be gorgeous, and 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 then and then she has to know how to cook somewhere in there. And but you know, physical appearance is is uh, is usually high on the list as we as we're younger, and then as we grow older, we realize that there's a lot more to a wife than, you know, does she kiss good? Although that's very important. So, uh, she doesn't kiss good. You're going to be in for a long road ahead of you. But, uh, we, uh, we used to joke, uh, with the teenagers. We used to tell them, we say, listen, you can, you can make a pretty girl spiritual, but you can't make a spiritual girl pretty. So find a pretty one and then work on her, work on her inside, but you can't reverse the process. So, uh, do what you, do what you can. And then, you know, and then let, let God do the, do his part on there. But, you know, as you're dating, you, and I can only speak from my, from my experience, but you know, you, you're, you're at the college or you're at, uh, maybe you're at church, maybe you're, you're somewhere and, and that girl, uh, grabs your attention. I can remember the first time I met my wife. This is not going to all be about me and my wife, but I can remember the first time I met her and, and, and it, she caught my attention. And then, you know, you ask him out on the first date. I think I told you a couple weeks ago, the very first date I went on, I forgot what the girl looked like. And then I was afraid that I was going to run into this girl in the hallway and, and totally ignore her because I, I forgot what she looked like because I was looking at my toes when I asked her out because I was, I was nervous. <laughs> that was the first time I ever asked a girl out on a date. And she said yes, of course, because why not? But she, uh, totally was, uh, I couldn't, I could not imagine what she looked like as soon as I walked away and, and I was horrified. I had like the worst week of my life trying to 
figure out who this girl was that I was supposed to take out on a date. And then I was like, what am I going to do when I show up? I'm supposed to meet her. I told her I'd meet her somewhere. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to show up and, you know, <laughs> she's going to be standing over there and be standing there looking and waiting and maybe waiting for a single girl to walk by and, and uh, not have a guy with her. Maybe you're the one. I can't remember. And I don't know. But it worked out and, uh, for at least for that date. And then she's not, it's not Denise. So it worked out even better because I got, I got her. But that, uh, you know, as you, as you begin that, uh, that dating process, the whole idea of it is to get to know someone. You go on, you go on dates maybe that kind of help you to get to know each other. You begin to ask these really weird questions, you know, and you're sitting there and you're like in an interview, but it's a dual interview because I'm interviewing her and she's interviewing me. And really what we're trying to find out is, are you marriage material? And she's trying to find out, uh, can you keep a job long enough to take care of me or am I going to have to be your mother? And we and we begin to uh, find that out. I don't know, those of you who are married, I don't know how many dates you went on or how many different people you dated before you got to the one you're sitting beside right now. But more than likely, it was more than the one you're sitting beside right now. Is anybody, you're, you're married to the one that you, you never dated anybody else? Raise your hand. None of us. Okay. So most of us, you know, most of us have been on dates before. We, we, we dated other people. And as you begin to get to know that person on a deeper level, uh, maybe red flags start popping up, you know. Wow, she's a mouth breather. Or wow, he doesn't shower. Or he doesn't have a job or whatever. And I remember in college when I was watching all of my, uh, my, my, my classmates, my friends, they'd go on dates and, and you begin to learn things about people as they as they would get to know them and then rumors would spread around about them but you know so and so he looks good and and he's got a fast car and he's got you know he's got nice clothes and so then of course he would get a lot of first dates and then something would happen and the girls would start to pass this around hey this guy doesn't have a you know he doesn't he can't keep a job he doesn't have any money or he's a he's a he's a jerk or, or whatever and the same thing would pass around and and that's just that's just how it is and fortunately uh, God invented love, right? He is love and he, and he gives us enough of it for one person that we all, the, though we see all these red flags popping up, we're like, I can still live with that. And then as, remember, as we get married, those of you who have been married for, uh, at, at least a couple of years, remember how, you, how well you thought you knew each other when you stood at the altar and you said, I do. Yesterday we, I did, uh, at a wedding, it was a double wedding and, and, and had, uh, Two, two couples get married at the same time and you look at them and, 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 and they think that they, they, they know absolutely everything there is to know about them and you can't surprise me. I love you regardless. But we know that uh, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. So what happens? Every couple stands at the altar says, I'm going to till death do us part. I mean, she's the one for me and she says, he's the one for me and nothing's going to tear us apart. Nothing's going to break us up. And yet, one and two do. Why is that? Most of the time, if we were just to boil it down to a real basic answer, it's because the more you get to know someone, the deeper you get involved in that person's life, you see things that you don't really like. You see things that are kind of ugly. You see that dirty laundry. But get Go away from the, the whole love dating illustration. We all have friends that come over to our house. We all have different tiers of friends that come over to our house, Right? If company's coming, ladies, the house for certain people is spotless, right? But we all have a few of those friends that maybe we just kind of throw the stuff in the corner. We don't really care as much because they're real inner circle friends, right? It, they, the house doesn't have to be spotless, spick and span, 
for those people. And then when, and then there's an, another group, you don't even try. You're just like, whatever, you see it. You ever walk into someone's house and it's spotless and like, sorry for the mess. You're like, what mess? What are you talking about? And, you know, they're, because they live in a, in this like pristine, uh, uh, no germs anywhere world. And like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what mess you mean here. But, at, but because we put on a front for people until we get to know them. And then as we get to know someone, we kind of, let our guard down just a little bit and then maybe with marriage you let your guard down all the way and someone that one special person kind of gets to see into you see into who you really are that's what first john is all about it's about getting to know jesus pastor john will call him his writing this letter to a group of people and he's trying to not introduce them to Jesus. This is a group, as we get to the next section here in verse in chapter 2, he's talking to believers, he's talking to churches, because he talks to them, he says, my little children. But he's talking to a group of first and second and even third generation Christians here about this idea of a relationship with Christ. I think it's interesting because John is the disciple. If you want to turn, keep your, keep your finger in 1 John, but I want you to turn to John chapter 19, just the Gospel of John. And I want to show you something very interesting because as we understand the author a little bit, we will understand the, the message that he, is, that he is writing to this church, but also to us today. John chapter 19 and verse number 26. John wrote the Gospel of John. And if you remember that as you, as you read through the Gospel of John, he's speaking of himself. And I want you to notice how he refers to himself all throughout the Gospel of John. John chapter 19 and verse 26 says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, notice whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, But woman, behold thy son. Now we know from other Gospels he's talking about John. So John is the one writing this. And John didn't say, and obviously this is through the, through the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but John is not saying uh, Jesus saw John or Jesus saw me and he said, uh, Mary, this is going to be your son now. I'm, I'm going to die and I want John to take care of you. He said, the disciple that Jesus loved. Five times in the Gospel of John, he refers to himself in the third person. That's kind of weird in itself. You ever talk to someone who refers to themselves in the third person? You're like, uh, just be normal, please. But John is talking to himself in the third, about himself in the third person saying, John, you know the one, and he kind of throws it in there. You know the one that Jesus loves. Jesus' pet. Jesus' favorite. I'm the one that leaned on Jesus during the Last Supper. I'm the close one to Him. Of the twelve disciples, I'm of the inner three. I'm, I have some special times with Jesus. And this is an old man at the end of his life trying to share maybe one last big message with this group of people. And he, and he, and this, but this is the type of guy that, that he's, that, that is writing this message to us. This is, I am the one that Jesus loved. I had a very close relationship with Jesus. The problem here as we, uh, as we get into this book and as we see is that the church is no longer a new idea. It's not a new concept. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was exciting. It was great. I mean, people were being persecuted and people were dying. You never knew who was going to not be there next Sunday because they might be uh, uh, killed and, 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 and taken or, or arrested, taken to jail. And, and so for those first few years after Jesus had, had died and, 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 and come back to life and, and, and walked among men for a few more days and then, 
and then went back to heaven and he gave the great commission to all the churches and, and the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Well, the church is not so baby anymore. It's not in an, in an infant stage and it's lost that new car smell, if you will. It's lost that fresh. They're no longer in the honeymoon stage. And so the, the, it's kind of settling down a little bit and the church is dealing with the problem. And it's not a problem from the outside world. It's not a persecution from the world. It's not the big problem is not that the soldiers are, are knocking down the door trying to get to them. The problem is actually coming from within. The problem is coming from believers within the church. And their problem is that they're trying to improve the church. Can you imagine that? The problem is the folks that are trying to make it better. But John is identifying this as a big problem. More than likely, this is this is a group of people we, we uh, they would be called the Gnostics. And uh, they're, they're, if we can sum up everything that they believe, they basically believe that all physical was bad and all spiritual was the only good. Only spiritual was good. And so these people denied the physicality of Jesus Christ. They said that Jesus wasn't really a, a man. He, just, he was just kind of a spooky ghost that you could see, but he wasn't really there and he didn't have a, he didn't have a real body. And they denied all these things. And these are the people that were within the church and they began to... Uh, spread this this new doctrine throughout the church. But what they were trying to do was make the church, make Christianity more respectable. Um, just Jesus is really so elementary. It's so basic. It's it's such a stock model. Let's enhance it. You know, when you go and buy a new car, you want to get all the bells and whistles you can. And they have the stock model and you can get the this model and then this model. And hey, you can get this model with all the leather and with all the bells and whistles and knobs and and, and things you'll never know what to do. But but you've got them. So you must have gotten a better thing than one that doesn't have any of those things. And that's how they viewed the church. Yeah, that was good for starters. Jesus was good for starters. He was good for the beginning. But let's move on now. Let's let's go on to something more exciting. Let's go on to something deeper remember uh he's he's talking to people that that would look at they would look at the philosophy as something uh that would be the preeminent thing and so they would they they look to to become more enlightened in fact they would look down at other people in the church that weren't as enlightened as they were you don't know as much as i do and so you're not as good as i am i'm going to look down on you and that's uh and that's what that's what the the type of of, of church that john is 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 writing to they wanted to make Christianity more intellectually acceptable. As we get to the beginning of this letter, then John, unlike many of the letters that we read in the New Testament, John does not have a greeting. He doesn't start off with John the Apostle, John the, the Beloved, John the, 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 the one who leaned on Jesus during the Last Supper. He doesn't say any of those things. He just jumps right to it. You know, as folks get older, you know, they just kind of say what they want and, uh, and, and they don't care and they just speak their mind and, and, Yes, yes, sir. But that's what this church needed. They just needed some black and white, cold and hot, straight up. I'm not mincing words. I'm not going to try to fluff. I'm just here it is. This is what you need to hear right now. And he starts off like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Notice he, he hasn't taken a breath yet. I mean, he's writing, obviously. He doesn't have to take a breath, but he doesn't finish. The, they don't get that period until the end of verse three. He's just, he's just, just nailing. He's just going to start rapid fire, giving him this, giving him this truth here. And really what he's talking about is Jesus. Notice he says that which was from the beginning, that's Jesus, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And then he says, for the life was manifested, or it was revealed, and we've seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. He's talking about Jesus. He says, hey, I want to tell you about the most important thing that you could ever know. It, it doesn't get any deeper than this. It doesn't get any more enlightened than this. It doesn't get any more intellectual than this. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. He's the one that we saw that was has been from the beginning. He started off John, the gospel of John, the same way. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. He says later on, he says that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father. He's talking about Jesus. And he starts almost the same way here by saying, this is the this is the word of life. This is the man that we we saw with our own eyes. We handled him with our with our own hands. We lived with him daily. John said, I spent three years with this guy. I walked with him. I saw him get tired. I saw him no doubt get sick. And I saw how he was when 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 he was uh, when he was hungry. I saw we were we were vagabonds traveling all over. And and Jesus said, the son of man doesn't have any place to lay his head. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. I'm homeless. I don't have any place to call my own. I just travel from place to place spreading the message of the gospel. And John said, I was there with him. I watched him go through all of these things. I watched him. I was in the garden with him when he prayed and he, and he said, not my will, but thine. I watched him, uh, sweat, uh, drops of blood. I, I watched him, uh, be arrested. I watched, uh, the soldiers take him away. Unfortunately, John says I ran away just like everyone else did, but I was standing there somewhere. He got that courage again and he's standing there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother. And Jesus looks down and says, of all the people I want to take care of mom. I want John. I want you to take care of him. Jesus and John had a very close relationship. John said, that's the Jesus I'm talking about. I, I, he wasn't just a man I read about. He wasn't just someone I heard about. I didn't just hear one of his messages online. I, I, just, I spent time with this man at the synagogue in a home. I ate meals with him. I slept beside him at the campfire. I sat with him in the boat. I've, I've done everything there is to do I began a relationship with him and he goes on and he says in verse number three, that which we have seen and heard, that what I've been talking about, he, the man that I've seen and heard, that's who I'm declaring. He says, declare we unto you that we he also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Jesus or John, the man who had experienced Jesus for himself now wants to tell everybody else about this man that he knows about. And he tells us that the reason for writing this epistle, the reason for writing this letter is twofold. But it's not just the reason for the letter, it's the reason for all of Christianity. It it matters to us today. He says, I experienced Jesus. I'm telling you about the one that I saw with my own eyes and listened with my own ears and touched with my own hands. And in that verse there, it says that we've, we've, uh, it says we've, uh, we've seen with our eyes and looked upon. It's kind of like he's re- repeating himself, but that second phrase, looked upon, means more of observed. I watched him. I saw him. You know, maybe a celebrity comes in town, you say, oh, I saw so and so. But then when he says, I looked upon him, I watched that man. 
You know, I, I sat there and, and I sit across the campfire from him and I just looked at him. And I watched when people would mistreat him and I watched how he responded. And I watched when people wouldn't believe him and I saw how he acted towards that. And I noticed that when everybody else around would go through the same temptations that he did, we failed and yet he didn't. I watched him. I observed him. I put him under the microscope and I examined him. And the deeper I got, the closer I got to Jesus, the better and better. Jesus is so wonderful. And I'm telling you about him now. And he says, I want you to have that experience with Jesus too. That's why I'm writing. But that's not just the point of the letter. That's the whole point of Christianity, folks. It's Jesus. That's the whole reason we're here this morning is because of Jesus. There's groups of people all around the world right now or coming up soon and they're going to meet and they're going to call it church. But the only reason that we can do that is because of Jesus. There's a lot of people out there that believe in God. Don't believe in Jesus. They give God a different name. So it's not the same. There's a lot of folk out there that will come and, and they, will, they will maybe have a self-help group, some kind of support group, and they'll do everything that we're doing except Jesus. And it won't, so it's not the same. Jesus is the one thing that ties it all together. And so John explains the point of his writing is twofold. Number one, he says in verse number three, he says, it's for fellowship. He says, I want you to have fellowship. He says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. Notice, he says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. He's saying, I'm writing this to you because I want you to have fellowship. Number one, I want you to have fellowship with God. Because he says, I want you to have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father and Jesus Christ. We've been fellowshipping together. We're telling you because we want you in the club. We want you in the circle. And he says, I'm going to tell you about this because I want you to have fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is, is communion. It's a partnership. It's an association. It's intimate familiarity. It's a sharing. You know, Baptists, you know, fellowship means food, right? We're going to have fellowship. Better get the potato salad. Better get that chicken dip. You know, better have uh, better have some kind of meat dish, and better have a lot of dessert, and 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 maybe salad if you're if you're weird like that and you want some of that. But uh, you know, we we need all the good stuff first. And, you know, that's that's what fellowship is to most people. We're gonna get together, we're gonna talk, we're gonna maybe play some games, and we're gonna enjoy the fellowship. Fellowship is so much more than that. Fellowship doesn't doesn't only reserve itself to the Sunday school picnic or to the harvest dinner uh, right around Thanksgiving. Fellowship happens all the time. Fellowship happens because we have something in common. We fellowship not only with Christ, but we fellowship with each other because of Christ. Fellowship is that partnership, that, communi that, uh, that com uh, communion, that companionship. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are fellowshipping. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are communing with Christ. We are, as a one big body of believers, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. And we are fellowshipping with Christ Himself. We are partnering with Him. But He says, not only do I want you to have fellowship, I want you to have joy. But notice, not just, not just joy. He says, I want you to have full joy. Verse number 4, These things write we unto you that your joy may be full, complete. I want you to have a complete, happy, joyful life. 
I want you to be, I want you to be uh, encouraged by the fellowship uh, that comes with, with, the, with the body of Christ. I want you to be encouraged with the fellowship that we have on a daily basis with our Father and with, with our Lord Jesus. But at the same time, I want you to live life differently than everybody else around you. I want you to have joy. I want you to have lasting joy. I want you to have complete joy. I want that to be full. I want you to be joyful. One of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. John said, you, you have no idea what it was like to experience three years of Jesus Christ. You have no idea what it was like to walk with Him and to talk with Him and to learn from Him and get those one-on-one -on -one conversations with Jesus. There's a couple written in the scriptures we read about it. Even some one time Jesus uh, kind of made a made a uh, in, implication that John wouldn't die, and and the, the way that everyone else would. And some of the disciples kind of got their feathers ruffled and saying, "Why, why are you picking? Why are you picking him to be your favorite?" And, and John's telling them, "He said, what is that to you? If if, if I choose him to do this, uh, you know, I, I choose you to do that. That's 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 my prerogative." But John got to have these special conversations with Jesus, and John's saying, "You you have no idea what it was like. So awesome." And so what I want to do is I want to tell you about that. I want to get you so familiar with the Jesus that I know that you want it too. I want you to have the same fellowship with me and with my God. I want you to have the same joy that I have. Think about, he's talking about joy. We know that John was the, was the apostle that was boiled in oil and, and, and forsaken on the Isle of Patmos. That's where he wrote the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. He wrote it had he been had been a castaway, if you will. He'd been abandoned, isolated on this island, having been boiled in oil. John, the apostle, the history tells us, didn't that died a natural death. Every other apostle died by means of execution, persecution, crucifixion, beheadings, uh, being speared, all those things. And he's saying, "Our joy, we are happy, folks." Why? Not because they were raking in the money. Not because it was sunshine and roses all the time. But because they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And John said, I want you to have that so much, brothers and sisters. And, and the church is all around. He goes, everyone, I want you to have that fellowship and that joy. But real quickly, let me just share a couple of statements with you from this passage here. And finish up the introduction. Number one, the point of Christianity is not to grow in the knowledge of God. Just the knowledge of God. But to grow in fellowship and enjoy with God. John didn't say, I'm writing this because I want you to learn some more about Jesus. He says, I want you to experience more of Jesus. This is why you can read the Scriptures and you can learn a lot about the man called Jesus. You can learn a lot about the man from Nazareth who walked on this earth and died a cruel death and rose, the, rose from the grave. You can learn a lot. And there's so many people sitting in pews today and running around and saying, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, I know who Jesus is. But they don't know Jesus. They know of Him. It hasn't changed their life. How many of you know who President... Barack Obama is. Raise your hand. You know who he is. Okay. How many of you really know him? How many of you know what his favorite candy is? His favorite pastime? We don't know him. We know who he is. If he walked past the street, we'd say, oh, there's the president. But we don't, we wouldn't know him. We couldn't, you couldn't walk up to him and say, hey, you know, 
charge after him and give him a noogie and you get tackled by Secret Service or something. You don't know him like that. Uh, you know, okay, over the past year, you knew who I was last summer. But over the past year, we've gotten to know each other a little bit more. And I hope you like what you see. <laughs> and you're like, talking about getting to know someone and kind of being disappointed. But that's that's what he's saying. John says, I want I know Jesus. And I want you to know him. I don't want you just to know about him. I don't want you just to get smart. The point of coming to church is not the end game. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. The point of coming to church, that's not the total reason. Okay, I came to church. Done. No, no, no. That just kind of got us to the opportunity to learn and get to know whole purpose of this church the one who started the church the one who died and gave his blood and gave his life for this church jesus christ john says it's not enough just to know about jesus you've got to know jesus have that fellowship with him have that relationship with him have the joy that comes from knowing him you've been a christian for a while now you've been coming to church for years most of us have been coming here Long, long time. We've learned a lot. We've heard hundreds of messages. Lots of Bible stories, vacation Bible schools, Sunday school lessons, devotionals, missionaries. We've learned so much. But if that's all that ever happens to us, if we live a life 70, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, however long, and we come to church every single Sunday, and we read the Bible every single year through, and all we get is that we know more verses than other folk. And we know more about the obscure Bible characters. And we can put the, we can fill in the blanks on the, the note sheets faster than everyone else. If that's all that we got, then we totally missed the point. Married my wife. It wasn't so that I could learn more facts about her. It wasn't so that I could uh, check something off the list. I needed someone... To, 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 to take care of or to take care of me. No, I married the one I married because I wanted fellowship with her. Because I wanted to be with her. What do you want to do? I just want to be with you. I just want to hang out with you. We and usually have to spend money to do that because, not because me, okay? Uh, because the other part. But, uh, we, we have to spend money, uh, but that's not the reason. You don't have to, we can, you ever watch an elderly couple sitting and maybe a couple that's been married for so long? You ever watch them? You ever you spy on them at a restaurant? You know, they don't have cell phones out, you know. They, they, well, if they did, they wouldn't be like smartphones. They just got the flip phones, whatever. But, you know, they, they're just sitting there enjoying each other, just looking at each other. They've learned their, just about everything there is to know about that person, and yet they're happy and content to just sit there and just be in the presence of another person. Have you gotten to that point? You finish each other's sentences. You know exactly what the other person's going to do and say. And you've, you've grown together. And you say, well, okay, I've spent enough time with you now. I'm moving on. No, no, no. I want to spend more time with you now. The more I get to know you, the more I want to know you. That's how it is with Christ. You'll never know everything there is to know about God. How can you wrap your mind? Uh, uh, how can a human being wrap an, a finite mind around an infinite God? The more I see, the more I experience God, the more I want to know that. I want to get closer than I was before. A moth to a flame that just draws me in. 
It's all about Jesus. Having a relationship with Him. Communing with Him. Loving and being loved by Him. Living life with Him. Enjoying the fellowship and partnership of being in His family, His body, His church. Living life to the fullest. Living life with joy. The closer you get to Christ, the better He gets. Just in case you're wondering, you don't have to be afraid of being let down or disappointed. Sometimes in human relationships, we kind of get, we let our guard down for someone and they hurt us. They take advantage of us. And, 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 and so we, we quickly put those walls back up. And the next time around, we're very leery about letting those walls down again. And we kind of keep people at a, at a distance. And the more times I'm hurt, the stronger I rebuild those walls. And I vow to myself, I'll never let them down again. But I can promise you, when you let down those walls, you get closer to Christ. He won't hurt you. He won't take advantage of you. He won't disappoint you. You ever wonder about that? You know, I, sometimes I like, oh, so and so. Personally, I love uh, football, and uh, I love uh, I, I love everything about football. And uh, several years ago, I, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. Uh, for those of you who didn't know, and just so I can stake my claim here again. Uh, but uh, I uh, several years ago, if you know that the, we are not the the uh, most law-abiding team in the NFL, but uh, I was—I decided I'm going to get a jersey, and so I—I—I I, uh, I was looking online, I was trying to figure out who am I going to get a jersey. Of. Every time I kept looking, I would be like, "Okay, I'm going to get this guy's jersey," and then you, that guy would go to jail. Can't do that. You, you know, back in the day, I know there's a couple cowboy fans back there. When I was a, when I was a teenager, I had a Michael Irvin jersey. He was my favorite player. I got a Michael Irvin jersey about a week before he was arrested for drugs. So that Michael Irvin jersey never was worn out of the house. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to associate with that. And so then I, so I'm doing this round two again. I'm looking at all, and or so either I, I decide on this guy, I'm going to get this guy's Ravens jersey, and he'd get traded or cut, or he'd get arrested. And I'm like, how do I? What do I, 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 and I just decide, you know, what, I'm not going to get any other jerseys because I, I am too disappointed every time I dig a little deep into a human being's life. And of course, I'm not expecting a football player to be my role model or anything like that. But as we dig into anybody's life, we see, you know what? The, I'm a little let down. You're not what I thought. You know, and maybe you have a hero. Maybe you've, maybe you've had a hero let you down and you think, how'd you do that to me? I thought you were Superman. I thought you were, I thought you were awesome. And then I find out that you're just like me. Maybe you're worse than me. So we let, we, we say, you know, I'm not, I just don't want to associate. But I can tell you, I can promise you with Christ, the closer we get, the better it gets. Do you have fellowship with Jesus? Yeah, I wonder if you do. If you answer that question, let me just tell you real briefly in just some closing moments here, how can you know if you have Jesus? How, how, how can you know if you have a good fellowship with Jesus? What's, what's that relationship like? I wish, I, w- I really do wish that God would come down and, and, and say, okay, on a scale of one to ten right now, we're at a five. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to uh, like performance evaluation. Wouldn't that be great if the Lord would come down and kind of give us a performance evaluation? Then here's some tips for the next following year. This is what you need to be working on. And here's some specific things. And and just limit it down to 10 or so. But uh, he doesn't do that. He just gives me his word and says, read it. And I'll tell you as you read it uh, what I want you to change. But here's here's just a couple of, of questions to kind of help you if you if, if you wonder where your where your relationship is, where your fellowship is with Christ. Is your relationship more like a partnership? With Christ, like a marriage or a really best friendship? Is it intimate? 
Do you share life with God? Or is it more like I keep Jesus on speed dials for emergency? Is he one of those friends that you can call for no reason? Or when the phone in heaven rings and God sees your name on caller ID, he's like, I wonder what he needs. I wonder what she needs now. Is, is my relationship with Christ more like an employee? Jesus, when I clock out, leave me alone. You know, nobody wants to get a call from their boss after hours or on the weekends or on vacation. But I wonder if we ever feel like that with God. Like, God, okay, I'm at church. All right, I hear what you have to say, but when I walk out those doors, leave me alone until Sunday. Leave me alone until I get back. I wonder if that's what relationship is like. Because if that's what it's like, I could use some improvement. Can you let your guard down with, with Christ? Have you ever let your guard down with Christ? Have you ever, or, or do you honestly look at your life and say, no, no, I, I keep him at an arm's distance because I don't want to get hurt. I'm not really sure what this is going to be like, and so I keep him at an arm's distance. What's your relationship like with Jesus' other friends? John said, I'm writing this because I want you to have fellowship with us. What's your relationship like with other believers? Jesus said, we would be known by our love for one another. Would you call your life joyful? Would you say, no, it's awful, pretty much. Or survival? Are you, in, are you getting the most out of life? Because the Christian life is not supposed to be the most depressing life there is. But if you were to look at the, the face of some Christians out in the world, you'd say, yeah, that's exactly why I don't want to be a Christian. Because they got to be like that all the time. I mean, I think along with believer's baptism comes a perpetual frown. And I don't want to be there. Or is your life joyful? Is it happy? If your life feels empty or incomplete, then it's not joyful. This is the whole message right here. You can have a closer relationship with Jesus. I invite you this morning to have a close relationship with Christ. John invites us through his epistle to have a closer relationship, a closer fellowship with Christ. God himself, Jesus, invites us to come. James tells us in chapter 4 and verse 8 that as we draw closer to God, He draws close to us. He wants to get to know us. And here's the thing about God. He doesn't have to get to know us. He already knows we're flawed. He already knows we have issues. He already knows we come with baggage. And He still says, I want to have a relationship with you. I still want to have fellowship with you. I know you come with wrinkles. And I know you come with bruises and, and bumps and scars from all the bad decisions you've made and sin has done a number on you, but I still want you. I've got to come and get to know Him. As we study Scripture, let us not just learn more, but fall more deeply in love with the one that Scripture tells us about. Put it at the very beginning of your notes. Let me just end with this question here. What happens when you truly experience Jesus? According to John, you find complete joy, you find fellowship with Christ and His church, and you desire for others to have that too. As we read this letter, we, we find an old man at the end of his life, and John says, I've lived an incredible life. I've gotten to know my Savior in a very intimate, and very close way. He wasn't just someone I sat and listened to and then walked away from. I lived with Jesus. And long after John, Jesus has gone to heaven, John says, I'm still walking with him. 
I'm still, he, we read that, we read that verse in Revelation. I think of it. It says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was, I, I, you can isolate me from every person, but you can't remove me from the presence of the Holy Spirit. I am, I am communing with him at all times. He says, it's been so great. My life has been so wonderful. The fellowship I've enjoyed, the joy that I've had through my life. I desire it for all of you. And we read, as we read this letter this morning, speaking to us. He says, I want you to have fellowship with us. So do. He says, I want you to have joy and I want you to have full and complete joy. So do we?